Amen. Well, we are in Joshua chapter 13. And as we go through Joshua chapter 13, you're going to see today there is really just a division of the land. And what I mean by this is that there are there is the promised land that Joshua has conquered. We have read about this. We have read all the way up through chapter uh, in, up to chapter 12. And as we read through chapter 12, we just saw all the kings that were conquered by, by Joshua. And we also read about the kings that were conquered or the lands that were conquered previously by Moses. And so now it's time to distribute the land. You know, one of the things that we're going to see today as we're going through the distribution of the land, there's going to be just all this land that is just divided amongst the tribes, and it's going to be like a long deed of trust or a long deed of just real estate property that is given to the various tribes. And we're going to experience this from now all the way through chapter 21. And as we look at these chapters, you're going to see all this assigning to the, to the tribes, and they're going to see the cities of refuge and the cities to the Levites. But I want you to know one thing, that even though to us all this distribution may seem very insignificant, I want you to understand one thing, that even in the insignificant, the Bible is filled with great lessons and great truths. And this is what we're going to talk about today, the lesson of God's perfect will, how to find God's will within our lives. See, as we go through this, right, as we go through the word, we're going to see and we're going to read about these tribes that settled for less. They settled for less than what God had for them, than what God promised them. And as we look at this, we're going to see one thing that as they settle for less, it's really not what God had designed for them. And if I could be so bold in sharing this with all of you, that whenever we settle for less than what God has for us, I want you to know one thing. It is sin. Okay? I want us to understand that you and I, when we settle for anything less than what God has designed for us, it's sin. And I want to share this with you. Because, see, as we look at settling for less, see, God has designed us to walk in certain areas and certain things and certain uh, uh, positions. He has prepared works beforehand that we should walk in them is what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, right? And when we say, you know what, Lord? Some of these things that you have prepared for me to walk in, I'm not going to do them. I'm going to settle for less. I'm going to do things contrary to that. Guess what you're doing? You're walking in disobedience to the Lord. And missing that mark spells what? Spells sin. And you and I must come to a place of realizing this. That whenever we settle for anything that is less than what God has prepared beforehand for us, it is sin. Let me give you an example. And I want to give you this example because I think it will just come in our face and it will really come home in what I want to share here. Let's say, and I do believe this, if God has given us all of La Puente, he says he's given us all of City of Industry, and he says he's given us all of Walnut, 
if he's given all of this to us, and I say, you know what, Lord? You've given me all of this, but I don't want it. All I want is a city of La Puente. Am I not being disobedient to what God has called us to receive? Am I not saying, you know what, Lord? I don't want all that you have for me. I only want a part of it. See, this is disobedient. When I settle for less than what God has for me, I am living out things that are contrary to what he has commanded us to do. And so for us, it's important that we understand what God's will is for us and how to find God's will in our lives. How many of us struggle with this, right? What is God's will for my life? What have you called me to do, Lord? Today, we are going to give you the steps in finding God's will because only you know what God's will is for your life. I don't know what it is, but I will show you the steps as to how to find God's perfect will. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says there, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, as we read this, right, we see here that there is something that happens when we make our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, what he's trying to say is that when you die to your flesh, when you die to your aspirations, when you die to the things that you want, to the pleasures that you want, and as it says there, to the things of the world, when you die to these passions, right, to go after the things to, of the world, when you crucify these things, right, and you allow your minds to be renewed, and how is it that our minds are renewed? It's, they're renewed by the Word of God, right, and by the Spirit of God that work in unison as one to do this renewing, this transforming within our lives, you will find that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So finding God's perfect will will happen. But see, we got to go back to the things that matter. And as he mentions there in Romans 12, remember the flesh has to get out of the way. The world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the things of the world, they have to be put aside. And your mind needs to be renewed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And then you will find God's perfect will, as he says there, his good and acceptable will. And so as we look at this, right, what are the steps that are needed? We're going to read in just a few seconds. We're going to read Joshua chapter 13. And you're going to see here in Joshua 13, you're going to see here a group of people or, or two and a half tribes that, no, that kept their eyes off of the Lord, that they made decisions not based on the Word of God, not based on what God had planned for them, but they based it on emotions, on their flesh, on the worldly things. And we know that this ultimately led to their destruction. Many of us, I want you to know one thing. Many of us are faced with choices and decisions in life, right? They come to us, right? And what are we to do when these choices, these decisions come before us? You know, what is it that you and I 
are supposed to do. We're supposed to make choices, right, that fall in line with the will of God. We can either make a choice that's going to be according to the will of God or that is not according to the will of God. And so we got to come to a place of finding that perfect will of God. And I'm going to give you these steps. And if you do these steps, you will find yourself walking in God's perfect will, whatever that may be, because only God knows, right? And some of you today are faced with decisions that you need to make. You know what? I need to make these major decisions in my life. And how do I make the decisions that are according to God's will? That's what we're going to go over. Let's go ahead and read all of Joshua chapter 13. And when we read Joshua chapter 13, we'll go ahead and break it down. And then we'll see what God has to share. Let's read from verse 1. It says, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gibalites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal-Gad below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the book, as far as the brook Mizrephoth, and all the Sidonians. Them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half tribe, the Reubenites, with the other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them. From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in it, that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites, and the Maker. Thites, all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan, as far as Selkal, all the kingdom of Og, in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, and Idre, who remained of the remnant of the giants. For Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gersherites or the Makathites, but the Geshurites and the Makathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. 
only to the tribe of Levi. He had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain by Mediba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Hazar, Kedemoth, Mephoth, Kerjathim, Sibmah, Zareth, Shahar, on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshimoth, all the cities of the plain and the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbam, whom Moses had struck with the princesses of Midian, Evi, Rechim, Zerher, and Reba, who were princesses of Sihon, dwelling in the country, the children of Israel also killed with the sword, Balan, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. That This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families. Their ter- territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aror, which is before Rabah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah, and Betonim, and from Mahanim to the border of Deber, and in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan as its, as its borders, as far as the edge of the sea of Shinnereth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Moses also had an inheritance to half Moses had also had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was from the half tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanim all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Idre, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were for the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Maker, according to their, children, to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab, on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said to them. So what we have here in chapter 13, after we read all these difficult names, I want you to know one thing, that here in chapter 13, Joshua's next assignment after the land of Canaan was conquered, was to distribute the land. I'm going to share this with you. When it came to Joshua, he was called to do a few things. And we know that these works that God prepared beforehand, he who walked in them. And I'm going to just summarize them in three. 
One was to lead the people into the promised land. This was a work that was prepared for him. He was the one that was called to lead the people into the promised land. Number two, Joshua was called to conquer, or I should say to be used by God to conquer the promised land. And then three, he was called to divide the land. So one was lead the people in. Two was to have God use him to conquer. And three was to divide the land. So we read already, you know, when we began Joshua, we read, of course, the fact that he led the people into the promised land. And we also read through chapter 11 the fact that the promised land was conquered through him, okay? Remember, it's God that does the conquering. It's God that did it. It was just Joshua that walked as an instrument in the, in the works that God pre, pre, prepared beforehand. What I want to do is I know we read a lot of names, and we probably lost sight of what we read in the first seven verses. At least I did. So let's go back and read the set, first seven verses, and this is where we're going to talk. We're going to spend some time here. It says, now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. There, this is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Ge Gezites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Git." Tites and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites. And Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath, Hamath all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook, Misrephah, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Okay, let's go ahead and summarize what's in these seven verses. The first thing that we see here is the fact that Joshua is called old now. Okay, he's an older man. And you may be wondering, well, what in God's eyes appears to be an old man? Joshua was probably 100 years old here, okay? So I think all of us would also say that he's what? He's very old, right? And so as we look at the age of Joshua, we know this for a fact because in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, it tells us that Joshua died at the age of 110 years old. So we see here that, you know what, it, it was the next, you know, after they, they conquered, it was the next five to seven years that, uh, that they began to distribute the land and they began to inherit the land and everyone began to move into the land. So this is really what takes place here. The second thing that we also notice here in verse 2 is that it says that there was much land yet to be possessed, Okay. Possessed. I want you to know this because, see, when we look at Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, it tells us that actually 
that Joshua, I'm sorry, not 11.23, it's 11. I'm sorry, 11.16. It says that Joshua took all this land. So we have here the fact that all the land was taken, right? And we know that as he, as he took the whole land, yeah, it is also in verse 23, that he took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. So when he took the whole land, we must understand that not all of it was possessed, okay? He didn't go into every portion of the land there in Canaan. And what he had to do was he had to now divide the land so that the different tribes can go in there and just destroy all the people that were left. Remember, their command from God, and we read this in Deuteronomy, was they were to destroy all the people. And the reason they had to destroy all the people was because we know that these people were like cancer, right? If they were kept alive, they would what? They would leaven. They would bring in sin into the people of God. And so God says, we need to destroy them. They've had their opportunity to repent, and yet they don't want to do any of that. So this remaining land that needed to be possessed it was just, you know what, to go in there and to take it and to destroy the people. Understand this, by this time, everyone that was a military threat, anyone that had a major kingdom in the promised land, they were already destroyed and conquered by Joshua. Okay, so the only thing remaining was these people and these lands that they had to possess. The third thing that I wanted to just share with you here is the fact that it says there in verse 6 and 7 that God was going to give to Israel the land, okay, as an inheritance. It's, that's very important. See, because when you look at this as an inheritance, this is key when it came to what God gave to Israel. I want to share with you one thing. God owns everything, right? But yet he has designed this portion of land in the land of Israel, what we know it today, to be specifically given to Israel by God. See, God can do whatever he wants. Understand that. God owns everything. And this is what he reveals to us in Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 and 12. It says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every beast. He owns the world and everything in it. Okay? So let us be clear on this. God owns everything. And if he owns everything, then he can give anything as an inheritance to whoever he wants to give. And he has chosen to give this land to Israel as an inheritance. But this inheritance is very conditional, okay? It was conditional. And what do I mean by conditional? They had to be obedient to the Lord. They had to do as he says. And we know one thing when it came to the people of Israel is that they weren't very obedient, were they? And what God used to chasten them was he brought in these two world powers. He brought in the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom, and he brought in the Babylonians to conquer the southern kingdom. And when he did this, right, he did this only because of their spiritual adultery. See, they, they were thinking that because they belonged to God, that you know what, that they were covered and that God would continue to just exercise mercy and grace upon them, which he does. But yet, if we walk in sin, he will chasten you, right? And he will take away what he has given you to bring you back to a place 
that he wants you to be. And what we have here really is the spiritual adultery, the idolatry, the adultery that the Israelites committed that really robbed them of all that God had for them. Okay? Again, not walking according to the will of God, but they were walking according to their flesh. Okay? And as we talk about this, see, there's going to be the flesh, the will, the world, the will of God. We're going to, all these things, have, you know, they, they don't work together. They work contrary to one another. And it's important for us to know this because these things work against us when it comes to walking in God's perfect will. When God says here, at the end of verse 7, he says, you know what? Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. There were 12 tribes. Remember this. There were 12 tribes, and these were the 12 children of Israel, right? And we know that Levi doesn't get an inheritance, but we know that Joseph got a, a double blessing only because Reuben, his older brother, you know what, committed just a horrendous act by sleeping with his stepmom. And so the Lord stripped him of this, and he gave Joseph now the double blessing that should have belonged to Reuben. But no matter what, there are always 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes, they were to go into the promised land because God had given them this land. But yet God is saying only divide it to nine and a half tribes. So that means that there's two and a half tribes, right, that aren't there, that aren't going to receive this promised land, that aren't going to be receiving an inheritance of the land that God had promised. Let's go ahead and read why. And let's read this in verse 8. We're going to go through verse 14. It says, with the other half tribe, he's talking about here the half tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites. So these are two and a half tribes. Remember, there's only nine and a half that are going to receive the promised land because these two and a half tribes received, as it says there in verse 8, their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them from Eror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Hespon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites, and the Mechathites, Mechathites, all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan, as far as Salkal, all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Idra, Idre, which remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gersherites, the Geshurites, I'm sorry, or the Makathites, but the remi- remaining Geshurites and the Makathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Let's stop here. What we have here is basically what God is sharing here is that these two and a half tribes, they received a portion of land because remember, God owns everything because they desired the land east of the Jordan that God gave it to them. See, I want to share something with you. See, when we look at why they chose this, see, this is important for us as the lesson that God wants to show us. 
See, God has things that he has prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in them. God has prepared all of these works, right? But what happens is, is that something misleads us, okay? Because we take our eyes off of the Lord. We're no longer walking by faith, but we begin to walk by sight. And I want to show you how these nine, I mean, these two and a half tribes began to walk by sight. Let's open up our Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. In Numbers chapter 32, we're going to read here these two and a half tribes, how they fell out of the perfect will of God into a place that God had never designed for them. And let's go ahead and read it. It begins here in verse 1. It says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrod, Heshbon, Elile, Shebam, Nebo, and beyond, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have, li have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let, us, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. How pathetic and how sad this is. Can you put up the map up there so that they can see what we're talking about up here? As we look at the, at the map here, you see where it says Manasseh, and then it shows Gad, and it shows Reuben. And then right in between there, that's the Jordan River. So when you say it's east of the Jordan, that's what's happening. Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben are east of the Jordan, and west of the Jordan is the country of Israel. That was the land that God promised them. But you have two and a half tribes here that are saying, you know what? This land looks so good, God. It's perfect for our livestock that we want it. And God, of course, he's not going to force us on anything, right? If that's a decision that you want, then guess what? I'm going to give it to you. See, they were moved by sight, no longer by faith. They were no longer desiring to walk in God's perfect will, but they were now desiring to be moved by sight. I want you to know one thing about these lands now. These lands, I want you to be clear on this. This land that they have here, because the Jordan separates, right, Israel. If you look at these lands, they are in a place where you can have an easy military takeover by the other people, right, by the other nations. See, what Gad and Reuben are today, I want you to know what they are today. You know what these lands are today? This is the country of Jordan. Do you want to know what, the country, what Manasseh is today? That is a country of Syria. That's what you have. See, when you do not walk in God's perfect will, it's not going to take you anywhere. All it's going to do is going to destroy what you want it because it doesn't matter because, see, God never designed these things for you. And that's what you have here happening with these people. See, these people made decisions based on their emotions. 
They said the land is perfect for our livestock. And you know what? We have lots of livestock, and that's what we want. Instead of going after the things that God has given them. I'm going to give you four steps. I'm going to give you four steps. See, because what you have here, you have these people that decided to make a decision based on their emotions, right? Based on what they see, no longer by faith, no longer receiving the promises of God. They say, you know what? You promised us something. We don't want it. We want something else. See, you and I, we make these type of decisions, and yet we don't look at the eternal consequences to these decisions, the consequences that it brings, the destruction that they bring, and yet we're ignorant to these things because we're led by our emotions. The first step in the four steps in finding God's perfect will, and we've been talking about this, do not be led by your emotion. Okay, that's the first step. You cannot be led by sight. You cannot be led by your emotions. You cannot be led by your flesh. You cannot be led by this. This is where Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 come into play. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. See, when you are moved by your emotions, when you are moved by your flesh, these things come and go. And I've shared this with you in the past because, see, it's important for us to understand. Our emotions are like the waves of the sea. And what do I mean by this? See, because they come with great power, right? Our emotions, they are just so strong and so powerful that it moves us to do something. And then they leave suddenly. And have you ever noticed what great waves do? They leave a mess, don't they? And that's what our emotions do. When you make decisions based on your emotions, it makes a mess out of your life. See, you and I cannot be people that are moved by our emotions. See, you and I cannot be a people that are saying, you know what? I want to be on the east side of the Jordan instead of being on the west side. Instead of being in the place that God has given me already, that God has promised for me, that God has laid out for me, that God has asked me to walk in these places because he has preordained me to be there. Instead, we choose these other things. I want you to share, I want you to know one thing. I'm going to give you some examples here, and these are really examples that God has put upon my heart to share with you because they are examples that show you and reveal to you what your decisions become when they are not led by faith. The first one that we're going to look at is Lot. Let's open up to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, we're going to read beginning in verse 5, okay? And you're going to see a commonality here between the two and a half tribes, between Lot and the third example that I'm going to give you. Here in verse 5, it says, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. 
God was multiplying. God was just multiplying their possessions. He was blessing them. And they had so much livestock now that imagine this, the land could not support both of them. That's how, many, how much livestock they had. And so the men from each, from Abraham and Lot, they began to grow and multiply that. They started fighting with one another. And so Abraham says, you know what? I think we got to separate. You know what? It's not good that, that you know what, as, as we're together, things aren't working out here. So verse 8 says that, I'm sorry, and then it says there in verse 7, it says, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Parasites then then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. This is Abraham. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Okay, so Abraham is saying, you know what? I know that God's directing my life. Whatever you want to take, I'll take the other part. Because I know ultimately God's going to bless me wherever I am. Because, see, God owns everything, right? We just read right now, God owns the world and everything in it. And so Abraham understood this. And Abraham was resting on the promises of God where he didn't have to fight for things. He just said, Lot, choose what you want. And this is what Lot does, verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So before the Lord destroyed it, it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. What you see there is very key. Lot lifted his eyes. And you know what he saw? He saw a land that looked like Egypt. And what does Egypt symbolize? The world. See, he now, he didn't do anything, right? He just said, you know what? Again, he was led by sight, not by faith. He just said, you know what? Wow. You know what? I want that because it reminds me of where I was. And I still have that. I still want that, right? And this is what he received. See, he's not the only one that made these decisions, right? Being outside of the perfect will of God. Let's look at another person. Let's open up to Judges. And I think many of you, are, I believe, know who I'm going to be talking about here. If you don't know, it's in Judges chapter 14. And there was this amazing man that God had prepared this wonderful work for him, but he had a problem. He had an issue with women. He just didn't want the women of God. He wanted the women of the world. He wanted these women that were bad girls, right? This is what he wanted. And this is what God had told them not to do from the very beginning. Let's read in verse 14 and let's see the same thing. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. He saw, and what did he do? He wanted. Again, outside of God's will, God says, you know what? I want you to marry a Jew. I want you to make sure that you're going after those that you're equally yoked with because the other ones are going to take you away. We know eventually what happened to this woman, right? She you know what, again, she just goes and she comes against 
Samson, and Samson gets upset, and then his father thinks that, that Samson's upset with her, so he takes her, even though Samson was married to her, and he gives her to his best man. Can you believe that? And so Samson loses this first Philistine wife. Let's look at Samson again, how, he, how, how he's moved. And let's look at this in verse 1 of chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Again, he's moved by what? By what he sees. No longer moving by God's perfect will for his life, but he's moved by emotions, by his flesh. Let's now jump to, chap- uh, to verse 4. After it happened that he loved a woman, after it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. He saw Delilah and he fell in love with her. And you know what? He was moved again by his emotions. He was no longer moved by God's will. He was no longer moved by the word of God, by what God asked him to do. He was now living a life that was dictated outside of God's perfect will because his flesh came into play. For Lot, it was what? The world that came into play. For the two and a half tribes, it was the possessions that came into play. Do you see how the world and your flesh will move you away from walking in God's perfect will? It happens. See, you and I, we cannot fall into this deception, right? We got to be moved by God. And we got to do as God says, which comes to point number two of finding out what is it that God has for me, right? See, I want you to understand one thing. In order for us to find what God's perfect will is for our lives, and we must do something. We must seek God. And the way to seek God is through prayer. That is point number two. That's step number two. If you want to find God's perfect will in your life, you need to go to step number two, which is you need to pray. And this is what it says here when it comes to prayer. I'm going to read to you from Philipp, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And many of us know this scripture. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, no matter what, you will be presented with challenges, you will be presented with situations, you will be presented with things and decisions that you must make, okay? The first step we told you is never be led by your emotions. Don't move quickly. Don't go by what you see, but you must move by faith. And in order to find out what God's will is for you, you need to pray. It's important for us to seek, to prayerfully seek Him. If we're not seeking Him, then guess what? then we're not going to invite him into our situation to tell us what his perfect will is. See, these principles are extremely basic, but these are things that we neglect to do. See, we could be like Samson, right? Instead of, uh, 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 of, of prayerfully seeking God, you know what? I'm single. I want a woman. Lord, send me my Eve. And the God will send her, right, if that is his will. You know, when it comes to, to Lot, right? Lot looking at the world. What does God's word tell us? You know what? Don't go after the things of the world. So what are we supposed to do, Lord? You know what? What is your will here? What do you want me to do? You have my life planned out for, you, uh, for me, right? 
So, Lord, show me. See, God tells us in his word, be anxious for nothing. It's important that we understand what that means, right? We are not to be anxious. We are not to move ahead of God. We are not to just make a decision based on our emotions. But you and I are to just sit back and say, okay, Lord, I'm presented with this. I'm going to give it to you, okay? I'm going to seek you in it. And what happens when you are anxious for nothing, but when you're, be, when you're praying and, and when you're giving those, that specific prayer to the Lord and you're just thank, you have a thankful heart, then guess what? Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and mind. It will be like a, a, a military army that just guards your heart and your mind because you're seeking God's will and the peace of God will fall upon you because he will give you that answer. And it comes in his due time. See, you and I move quickly. We're like the two and a half tribes that say, you know what? I like this and I want it. We're like Samson. You know what? I like that girl and I want her. Or like Lot. You know what? I want the world and I'm going to go after it. And these things are contrary to the will of God in our lives. See, we settle for less and we basically hinder the work that God wants to do through us when we're making decisions based on our flesh or based on these things that God says not to do. You know, when it comes to what are we supposed to do, you know, for us as a people of God, we always look to the Word of God. This is step number three. Step number three is your decisions must align themselves with the scriptures. Whatever decisions you do must align themselves with the scriptures. So you may say, well, what if I don't know the scriptures? Well, guess what? You're going to seek the scriptures and you're going to come to church and you're going to hear the Lord speaking to you through the scriptures and some scriptures going to be read and you're going to say, wow, that's what God is asking me to do. I'm, you know what? I'm going to listen to these scriptures you know what? We must always align our decisions according to the scriptures. Every decision that you make, I want you to know one thing. Because the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, I want you to know this, that the word of God will have an answer for everything that you're confronted with. You may say, but it may not talk about these things. Yes, it does. I'm going to share this real quick. When I was seeking the will of God, for this church, and I've shared it with you from Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. It talks about the promises that God was giving Abraham. Did you know that when I read that scripture, that God was talking to me about the promise that he gave me when he gave me a vision, when he gave me a dream of the church that I would plant? That scripture had to do with Abraham, but when I read it, God was speaking to me direct and telling me, I can fulfill that promise. See, God's word is alive. And you and I must come to a place of realizing this, that no matter where we're at, we must go to the scriptures. You know what? When it comes to Samson, Samson knew, Samson knew the Lord, that he uh, knew God's word, right? That he shouldn't be unequally yoked with a Philistine. He neglected God's word, right? He didn't listen to God's word. You know what? When when, uh, when Lot was looking at the land there at Sodom and Gomorrah, he knew that he should not desire the things of Egypt, right? But yet what did he do? He went after these things. 
You know, when we look at God's word, listen to what it says here in, in Psalm. What it says here in Psalm 119, verse 1. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You are and I are blessed when we walk in the ways of the Lord. And this is what God wants us to walk away with. Whenever you have a decision to make, go to the word of God. God will speak to you or God will bring you a word. Somehow you'll have a friend that will text you a scripture or a friend will tell you and speak to you about a certain word. And it answers your dilemma or your decision, whatever it may be. See, God will somehow bring this word to you. And it's important for us to know this. See, not only do we base our decisions according to the word of God, but step number four is that you are to seek the word of God. Okay? Because one is basing your decisions against the word of God. The next one is to seek the word of God. And I'm going to share this with you. When it comes to seeking the word of God, before you make any decisions, ask God as you're reading the word, and don't go to a scripture pointing to it or saying, okay, today, Lord, you're going to speak to me, right? And you open up a scripture and you're saying, oh, there it is, right? It doesn't work that way. See, many of us have done this. I've done this in the past, right? And all I want to do is I want to find answers instead of really allowing God to speak to me. See, you and I understand this. When you are seeking God's word, his word tells us in Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my what? My path. It guides you and it directs you, right, as you seek the word of God. But see, one thing that God does, and I want you to know this, whenever you have a decision to make, God will speak through his word. You will find that scripture, whatever God wants to share with you, whatever answer you're looking for, God will give it to you in scripture. As you do your daily devotionals, as you are reading the word of God, as you are hearing the word of God, whatever it is, when you are seeking God for an answer, ask him, Lord, speak to me. There were so many times that I have done this where I am saying, Lord, I am not going to move until I hear from your word specifically what you want me to do. And I don't move. And I wait. Again, praying, right? Be anxious for nothing. Asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what, are you gonna, what do you want me to do in this situation? And he will eventually speak to you through his word. See, the word is alive, and if you believe that his word is alive, then it will guide you. It will be that light and that lamp. But yet, we make decisions without seeking God. See, this is the thing that, that messes us up. This is the thing that puts us in these situations where God doesn't want us to be. It moves us out of God's perfect will. And yet, we sin and we fall into these places where God is saying, I never designed this for you, right? You know what, just like Samson, right? It tore out his eyes and it put him in chains, right? Because he what? He, he didn't follow God's will. See, he decided to fulfill the lust of his flesh. 
You know, for many of us, you know what, we make these type of mistakes, right? When we're seeking something or someone and we say, oh, this person is so good for me, it only destroys you. Or when you make things, decisions that are contrary to the, God's word, you see the mess that it creates. And then we have all this heartache. And I'm going to share this with you. You will have unrest. And God has never designed us to walk with unrest. God wants us to rest in him. He's our resting place. And yet when you're obedient, when you're following God's will, when you're seeking him through prayer, when you're seeking the word of God, when you're just allowing him to come and just to consume you, right? As we talked about being these living sacrifices, no longer living for our flesh, no longer conforming ourselves to the world, but now living for him, allowing his spirit and his word to just consume us and to guide us and to lead us, that we are, fall into that perfect will of God. See, God wants every single one of us to walk in his ways, to walk in his will. See, we cannot be led by emotions. You cannot be finding his will without prayer. You cannot be finding his will without God's word, without aligning the will of God with his word. See, all these things are so basic, they're elementary, and yet we move ahead of the Lord. We allow the emotions to come in like these waves, right, making a mess of us, allowing us to make these decisions, you know what, these rash decisions, as they come powerfully, right, these emotions. Man, this is so right, I know this is from God, and yet you know that it doesn't align itself, but yet you're moved by your emotions and your emotions take over. I do not want to neglect something here because, see, there are those decisions that come to you. I mean, there are those things that come to you, and you make a rash decision, but the thing that comes to you really aligns itself with God's Word, and you know that, and you know for a fact, and you make that decision, and, and these are these situations where you, you need to make a decision, right? Sometimes, you know what? You, you don't have time to wait. And you have to make that, that decision. But always remember, whatever you're presented with, it must align with God's word. Whatever it is. You know what? You may not have time to pray, but you may not have time to, to wait a long time prayerfully. But you know what? But you do say, Lord, give me wisdom in this. And Lord, I hear it and it aligns to your word. Let's do it. Okay? There are those times that happen. But you know, major decisions in your life and walking in the will of God, we cannot be like these two and a half tribes to say, you know what, I want something less than the promises of God for me. I mean, how sad it is. I shared with you what happened to these tribes, these two and a half tribes. They were the first ones, to, when the Assyria took over Israel, they were the first ones that were conquered. When all these other peoples came into their land, bringing in all these idols, these were the first ones to go in and to begin to worship all these false gods. Why? Because they weren't in God's will. They were being disobedient to God's will. They weren't following God's will. What they were doing is they were led by their flesh, by their emotions, just like Samson, just like Lot. These two and a half tribes made a mess of things. And you know what? The further you are, when it comes outside of the will of God, the greater the heartache and the destruction is going to be. 
See, God has wonderful plans for all of us. He has wonderful plans for you. He has wonderful plans for me. He has wonderful plans for every single one of us. And his word will show you what these plans are. His word will guide you and direct you right in that perfect path. But we must be sensitive to continue to listen to his word, to prayerfully seek him. It's all about having a tight relationship, a personal relationship. And we're talking about a relationship like you've never had before. you got to come to a place of saying, you know what, Lord, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been in the past. Because I want to have an amazing relationship with you. When you have a close relationship with the Lord, you know what? You cannot be in no other place but in the perfect will of God. Because you know what's important. Because you know what's, what's key when it comes to this relationship. You know what? We all want to be where God wants us to be. And I'm going to finish up with this because we got to read these final scriptures so we can finish this chapter. As we go back to Joshua, I'm going to read to you. Just, and I'm not going to expound on them because we don't have time. Well, I'll share this with you. Let's read the land of Reuben here in verse 15. It says, And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain by Mediba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain of Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Baal, Mion, Jehazah, Kedimoth, Mephoth, Kerjathim, Zibmah, Zerith, Shehar, on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth, all the cities of the plain, and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, who Moses has struck with the princesses of Midian, Evi, Rekim, Zer, Hur, and Reba, who were princesses of Sihon, dwelling in the country, the children of Israel also killed with the sword, Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. These people resided in the place where the Moabite women were, where the Midianites were. And I don't know if you remember this, but this is where the prophet Balaam came. And he was unsuccessful in bringing a curse upon the people of God. God did not permit that. So what Balaam did is he says, I know how to bring them down. You know how I, I know how to bring down the people of God? I'm going to bring, I'm going to, I'm going to tempt them with flesh. And he brings these Moabite women. And he brings them and they're there worshiping their gods and they're naked and they're committing sexual, they're having orgies and all that stuff. And so the, pe so the people of God, the men, they're moved by their sight. Guess what they do? They go and they have sex. And so we see here what God does. I mean, what, what happens to them is that, is that, you know, so many thousands of men died because of this sin. See, they could have easily walked away. Remember that. Remember what sin is. You know what? Sin is not, you know what? The sin wasn't the, what they saw. It was what they did after they saw. That's what's key. Right? What did they do after they saw? They lushed it and they participated in it. When you see they need to turn away. But see, it was their flesh that moved in to sin. 
and this is what happened to these people, and this is where the land, this is the tribe of Reuben, what they did. Let's read about the tribe of, of, of Gad. It says, Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aror, which is before Rabah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizpah, and Betonim, and from Mahanaim to the border of Deber, and in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan and it, as its borders, as far as the edge of the sea of Kinnereth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families and the cities and their villages. Now let's read the half-tribe of Manasseh, what they received. And let's put up the, the map up there so that we can just see it. It says, Moses also had given an inheritance to the half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Idre, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Maker, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance to the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. So that's what they received. And they were the first to be conquered. They were the first to have the infiltration of sin and leaven. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I didn't read two verses. Okay, and I'm going to read these now. Verse 14, because we're going to see the tribe of Levi, okay, what it says, and it repeats it twice, and it wants us to hear this twice. It says in verse 14, Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord, God of Israel, made by fire, are their inheritance, as he said to them. And then verse 20, 33 says, But to the tribe of Levi Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. I'll tell you this. Out of all of them, the greatest inheritance was what the Levites received. And you know why? Because their inheritance was the Lord. They were the ones that were closest to the Lord. They were the ones that were serving the Lord. They were the ones that were there, experiencing just the presence of God. You know what? What an honor and a privilege it was for these priests to go in there, to be close to the Holy of Holies, the high priest that would walk once, once a year into the most holy place. You know what? Their inheritance was the Lord. And that was sufficient for them. They had these little cities, these cities of, that the Levites received. But you know what? They didn't need an inheritance. They didn't need land. They didn't need possessions. They didn't need the world. They didn't need all these things because they had God. You know, as we are reminded of these things, right, I want you to know one thing. What does Jesus, what does the Lord call you? He calls you priests. He calls you kings. See, you and I are priests of the Most High. You and I are royalty to the Most High. This is what's so amazing to me. And he has called us as priests, and he has called us as kings. Why are we priests? Because we have God himself. We are his dwelling place, and we have been given the assignment to give forth his word, not just by our, by our words, but by our actions. See, you and I have an amazing calling upon our lives. You and I are priests, and as priests, let us live up to this high calling. As royalty, you and I will reign with Christ. 
You and I have been called to reign with him throughout eternity. You and I are, are, are just royalty of the Most High. Do we act this way? Do we, do we behave this way? Do you behave as, as one that is a, a, a royalty to, to the king? See, I love this. As we're reminded of this, right, You're, we're both priests and kings. And we're going to reign with him. And we're going to serve him just like the priests did. You know what? When we think about this, and I'm going to close with this. You know, when I'm reminded that I am a child of the king, it just sounds so good, doesn't it? And I'm not talking about just, I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about us. When we're reminded that we are children of the king, how does it make you feel? I mean, how does it make you feel? Think about that, right? If you have been called by God, you are my royal people. You know, we should behave in a manner that walks according to what royalty do, right? You know what? We have all these kings and queens are always shown how to behave. And whenever you see them, they're on their best behavior, right? When your cameras are on them, they're behaving like royalty. They walk like royalty, right? You know what? They have their chest up and their arms and they're properly dressed. And you know what? Not that we do that, but see, it is a reminder of what we are to put on. You and I are to put on Christ because that is who we serve. You serve the king. Let us walk worthy of this calling. Let us do as God has asked us to do. And the only one that prevents you from doing this is what we read today. Your flesh, the world. And Satan uses these things to bring you down. Are you going to walk this way? Are you not going to are you gonna, not going to conform to the things of this world? Are you going to be a living sacrifice that, that just crucifies his flesh and takes up his cross? Are you going to allow your mind to be renewed by the word of God and the spirit of God to find his perfect, his good, his will? Imagine that. We can easily do it. But let us not get in the way. You get in the way. I get in the way. Let us not get in the way of God doing just an amazing thing through us. My desire for this church is to have a church that is so on fire for God, that is so passionate about God, that when people walk in, that, you know what, that they don't say, oh, yeah, you know what, I know how you live, and yet you live differently at church. We are to be transparent people. You and I are to be people that when people see you at church, they say, you know what, that person, the way he acts at church is the same way he acts at home. Those people are passionate, on fire for God. They are sold out for God that, you know what, I see their lives being transformed. I see the blessings of God on their life. I want the same. Isn't that what drew you to somebody? Isn't, I mean, I'm sorry, isn't that what drew you to the Lord when you first saw people that were sold out for God? And yet we allow our flesh we allow the world to pull us and to take us. Let us not be these people. Let us seek to fall and to walk in his perfect will. And how do we do this? We gave you the four steps. Don't be led by your emotions. Pray, align, align 
your decision according to the word of God and seek the word of God for answers and confirmation. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for just your word. As you reminded us about your perfect will. How is it that we find your perfect will? We just heard today. Let us not be like Lot. Let us not be like Samson. Let us not be like these two and a half tribes. But let us be a people that are completely conformed to your image. That are conformed to you. Because we're yielding to your word. Because we're yielding to your spirit. Let us not get in your way. Let, it, let our flesh and, our, and the world not prevent us from walking in your perfect will. These are the enemies that we have that pull us away from your perfect will. And we know this, and yet we fall just captive to it. And we fall into these things and these traps. And, and yet, this isn't what you want for us. Help us all, Lord. Help us to just wait on you. Help us to align our decisions according to your scriptures. Help us to seek you, Lord. Help us to just be that which you want us to be. That which you want us to walk in. If there's anyone here before we, we close, you know what, there's, there's times that, that we're confronted with our life like it flashes before us. And the Word of God tends to do this. It, it has a way of, of revealing our life as it flashes before us and it brings us to points of of looking back at our life and how we're living and it calls us to examine these lives. The Word of God does this. It supernaturally does this because it's alive and, and we see our life flashing before us and we know for a fact that we're not walking worthy of the high calling upon our lives. We see ourselves practicing sin and walking in sin. And so what God wants us to do is to come to a place of just confessing. Of inviting Him in and telling Him, we're sorry, we're messing up. We're messing up. And if you want to make your relationship right with the Lord, the only way to do this is to invite Him in again. It's to die to your flesh, to die for the cares of the world. To stop having idols, possessions before you. If this is any of you and you want to make your relationship once again a thriving, passionate, amazing relationship with God, then, then it's time to say, I'm sorry and I want you. And if this is any of you, I ask that you would raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now? Anybody wanting? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else wanting this? Anyone else before we close? Is there anyone else? 
for this one that raised her hand, I do want her to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for just going after my flesh, going after the things of the world. I want you, Lord. And I'm confessing to you my sin and inviting you in to dwell and to live with me and to help me to live up to this high calling by the power that is within me as I yield to it and as I live by it. I love you and I praise you, Jesus, because you are the one who saves in Jesus' name. I want to share this with you. For those of you that are going through situations right now and you need help, you know, you want to seek prayer in this, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but God knows what it is. And so what, what I want to do is I just want to pray for you and basically you're just going to, we're just going to ask God to to remind you of what needs to be done, what God's will is for your life. And also just to make sure that what you've heard has been now ingrained into your heart so that you can live by it, okay? Because we want to live by these steps, right? Because we don't want to mess up. We want to fall right in His perfect will. And if you're being challenged by this, I just want to pray for you. And if there's anybody here that needs this prayer, then stand up and I'm just going to pray for you. If anybody needs this. Lord, you see these people standing. Lord, they're here because they need you. We all need you, Lord. But they have a specific need at this time, Lord. Like your word says, to supplicate, Lord, to give this specific request to you. And this is what we're doing, Lord. This is exactly what you're asking us to do. Lord, we want to hear from you, Lord. And so we're standing up, Lord. And we're giving this to you, Lord. We're, we are telling you, Lord, that we can't do this unless you're in it. And Lord, I pray for everyone that is standing now. I pray for every single person, Lord. That you will show them your perfect will. That they will align their decisions, not by their flesh, not by the world, not by their possessions, but according to your perfect will. Lord, we heard today how to do this. Lord, I pray that these four simple steps that were given to them, that they would make this now a part of their daily duty in seeking your will to do these things. To fight their emotions off, Lord. 
to seek you through prayer and to come to the word for answers as well as guidance. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, because these right now are going through this situation, but there are many others that will be in this situation. And just as I'm praying for these, I pray for those that are sitting. Help us all to remember, Lord, that your will is all we seek. Just as you showed us, Jesus, that not your will be done, but the will of your Father. You were the perfect example. May we seek your perfect will. Because that is the place where we want to be, where we will bear fruit and where it will be eternal. Lord, we love you, Lord. I love you. I love your word. I love just your glory, your attributes, everything that you are, Lord. Lord, may we fall deeper in love with you. May we be passionate about you. May we just continue, Lord, to be a people that are just so, so heavenly-minded and so passionate and in love with you, Lord. May this church be a reflection of your love. May we be a people, Lord, that seek faithfulness, obedience, perseverance, love, and your Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit, to fall upon us and to overflow from us. May there be just a supernatural drawing of people to this place, Lord to do your will, not ours, but yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We can stand for this last song. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. Work and wash away our sins. Work and make us whole again. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash us pure as snow? Welcome us friends of God. Nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood, King Jesus. Your cross testifies in grace 
details of the Father's heart to make a way for us. Not only we approach, not earthly confidence. 